Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney. Uh, just about struggling through this, I think. This is, uh, Eric, one of those podcasting Sundays in which two washed middle-aged dudes who need their sleep struggle to get through a recording after far too little sleep the night before because there was boxing to watch until about 1 a.m. But, hey! At least after this is done, you and I can both nap to our heart's content, right? It's not as if either of us has to be up at ridiculous times of the morning or inviting complete strangers into our homes or anything weird like that, right? Right? No, no. Wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. Uh, but I think you knew that, Kieran. Uh, uh, I kind of did. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what the listeners don't know that you do is that I'm moving, uh, which is very exciting. It's fun news. We're going from a townhome to a single-family home in the same school district. A little more space, a fenced-in yard for our dog, who has never had his own yard before. So he's really the reason we bought the house, to make him happy. Um, <laughs> That's a very expensive dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is. But, you know, he's cute. So what are you going to do? <laughs> um, but no, it's... It's, it's all very exciting, but it's also incredibly stressful. Um, since we found out our bid on the house was being accepted six days ago, I've woken up in the four o'clock hour every morning for six days straight, uh, including this morning after staying up till about 1 a.m. watching boxing. Just a lot of anxiety over the money involved and the mammoth list of things that have to get done, including the last few days of insanity, getting our house ready to show to people. So the next month and a half or so until we're moved, I'm going to be perpetually exhausted and stressed and it's going to suck. Uh, but after that, once I'm settled into my new house with its state-of-the-art podcasting studio, it will all have been worth it. Very nice. State-of-the-art podcasting studio, you say. So an extra bedroom. <laughs> yes, that is correct. I will finally have <laughs> an extra bedroom that I can convert into an office. And uh, nice. yes, podcasting uh, basically means having a computer that you can plug a microphone into. <laughs> I will have that. Nice, nice. Yeah, good luck. Well, yes, good luck to you. I mean, uh, as we talked about earlier, I... Uh, uh, just moving house, just moving. This is the first house that I have ever bought. And mm -hmm. just the process of moving from a place that I was renting into a place that I bought, I found incredibly stressful without having to deal with the selling the house <laughs> as well. I, yeah, it's, it should be just a once a lifetime thing. It's so stressful, let alone a several times a lifetime <laughs> thing. So uh, you have my greatest sympathy for what it's worth. Uh, thank you. I will take That'll that help, sympathy. Right? And yeah, no, can, does the sympathy make me feel well rested? Can oh. that somehow happen? If not, I don't want your sympathy. Feel feel free not to call at 4.30 in the morning, though, to catch up. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> All right. Look, after a couple of weeks with little major boxing activity, we are back in a big way this week, which is great because Eric needs plenty of work to keep him occupied. <laughs> um, uh, coming up next week, the Showtime summer schedule gets underway with a triple header topped by a 122-pound clash between Brandon Figueroa and Luis Neri. Uh, we will preview that card and make our predictions. And we will also talk 
to former 122, and for that matter, 118 and 126 pound titleist Abner Mares for his thoughts. There are a few news items to talk about. One of them is almost unspeakably horrible. Uh, and I have a new top five challenge for Eric. But first, to Arlington, Texas, where, for better or for worse, what are hopefully the waning days of the worst pandemic since the Spanish flu, saw a new record indoor crowd for a boxing event in the United States. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) As 73,126 people watched Canelo Alvarez walk down a lively Billy Joe Saunders over eight rounds before stopping him with a devastating uppercut that caused Saunders' team to pull their fighter out of the contest between rounds eight and nine. And if you were just listening to the audio of the DAZN crew, uh, but not actually watching the fight, or indeed if you are watching without seeing, as happens quite often, you could be forgiven for thinking that the fight was evenly poised or that Saunders had seized the momentum and taken the fight over. In reality, I think the situation was somewhat different. Uh, Saunders, to his credit, showed genuine liveliness, uh, as we expected, for a couple of rounds, appeared to be feeling, you know, comfortable, jabbing from range, throwing good flurries, uh, even as he was looking to move around the ring and away from Canelo's power. But as we've discussed, you and I, plenty of times, one of the great strengths of Canelo, of course, is his extraordinarily adept defense. And, and I thought that was evident again on Saturday night. Um, you know, there he was in that opening round. He looked at uh, his upper body, Canelo, a little bit more static than we've become accustomed to. But he was clearly just trying to get a sense of, of Saunders. And from second round on, I, I thought he really slipped into Canelo mode. You know, you're stalking his man, but he was slipping and blocking his punches. I thought beautifully, even as he walked Saunders down and cut off the ring. I thought in rounds two and three, Saunders looked kind of rattled, actually, as he tasted the Canelo power and realized what he was in with. And as he also noticed the Canelo hand speed. Yeah. By about round five or so, he looked like he felt a bit more comfortable, as I said. But even so, he was still fighting off the back foot. And Canelo all night had been launching that left hook to the body with, with really targeted aggression. And he was also clearly trying to find a home for that uppercut. Um and as the fight progressed, you know, Canelo's punches took their toll. You could see Sanders starting to showboat. And that can mean that he's super comfortable. It can also mean that he's trying to hide the fact that he's not very comfortable. Whatever the reason, don't. If you're fighting Canelo Alvarez, it's not a good idea to keep your hands low, stick your face out, and poke <laughs> your tongue out. It works against Chris Eubank Jr. or Martin Murray, and maybe that is how he's comfortable fighting, but Canelo is levels upon levels above those kind of boxes, and and Saunders found that out. Um, The fight I thought was being fought, basically, even though Saunders did have his moments, it was always, I thought, on Canelo's terms. I thought he controlled the center of the ring, he was controlling the distance, and then, of course, it all came together in the eighth. Saunders ducked that unprotected head directly into the path of just a ferocious Canelo right uppercut, and as soon as it landed... That was it, really. Saunders' right eye was cut, it was bleeding, it was swelling, he was clinging onto Canelo for dear life. Canelo looked like he he knew it was over right then. And the bell rang to end the round. Canelo told trainer Eddie Reynoso that he actually thought that Saunders wouldn't come out for round nine because he was pretty sure he'd just broken his cheek. He was certainly correct about the former. It appears he's correct about the latter, too, certainly judging from the dent in Saunders' face just below his eye that was very evident, and by the fact that he's apparently spending parts of Sunday having surgery. With the win, Canelo moves to 56-1-2 and two with 38 KOs. The loss drops Saunders to 30-1 and one with 14 KOs. Those are my just basic general thoughts. Eric, what about your thoughts about Saturday night's main event? Well, the fight you just described in detail is the fight I watched. 
I okay. thought Saunders was a bit tricky, a bit difficult, competitive in most of the rounds, mm-hmm. but rarely landed anything effective. And Canelo seemed in total control. As you said, had the faster hands. That was a big deal. He had the better defense. He clearly was the harder puncher. He was going to the body, as he often does. Uh, mm. He was generally looking like the more patient version of Canelo that we've yeah. seen a million times when he's taking on world-class boxers. When he's in with a guy who's totally overmatched, then you'll get the uh, right. raw aggression from Canelo. In this case, is it's the Canelo we've seen before. I don't really have a ton of analysis on the fight itself. I thought you described well what happened. What I find interesting to talk about here is how a broadcaster's scorecard can impact the whole call of the fight and create a narrative that tells one possible version of what's happening, but in this case, drowns out what you and I, and I think most people, saw Mm. actually happening. Um, And this is not an attack on Chris Mannix, whose scorecard Mm. it was that I disagreed with. Anyone can have an off night, score some rounds differently from how I score them, uh, I had Canelo up seven rounds to one. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sure some people think that was unfair to Saunders. I am more than fine with six to two. Mm-hmm. Don't even have a problem with five to three. Um, I do think Mannix having Saunders ahead in the fight was crazy. But the issue was not him seeing a different fight. It was the whole broadcast team then allowing that to dictate how they called the fight. Canelo was doing exactly what he wanted. The broadcast team started telling the story of a fight he was in danger of losing. Maybe he mm-hmm. needed to change game plans and do something different. And that just wasn't reality. Um, boxing writer David Greisman summed it up well. He tweeted, we don't score rounds on a curve. Just because Saunders right. is doing better than you expected doesn't mean he won a round. Um, to give more than three rounds to Billy Joe Saunders in that fight you had to ignore the primary criteria of scoring, which is clean, Mm -hmm. effective punching. You had to not give much weight to the body shots or the power shots and instead score jab activity and and movement and not much else. Um, But again, no no huge issue with Mannix having a questionable night. That happens. The problem is when his extreme minority view becomes the sole view of the broadcast. Um, And even after the fight, uh, after a fight in which Canelo was ahead on all three cards and stopped a good, tricky fighter and never seemed remotely concerned about the challenge in front of him. The broadcast crew is talking about how vulnerable he looked and how prospective opponents will watch this fight and see a superstar who's maybe ready to be taken. And that's just not right. That's not the story. The story is pound for pound king superstar takes care of business with about the expected amount of difficulty. So it it just really stood out to me here that letting that one scorecard affect the view of the whole broadcast team just presented a a different fight than than what I was watching and apparently what you were watching. Um, And one more thing that I want to touch on, one more hot button topic on Twitter was the question of whether Saunders quit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Twitter account, uh, at Barrera V Morales, uh, who I think it's explained it better than I can. So I'm just going to read this tweet quote, quitting should not be a pejorative term, but a factual one. We should mm-hmm. applaud those fighters who refuse to do so when they could, but also accept when some fighters do quit, as long as it's not egregious or said fighter hasn't mocked another fighter for quitting end quote. Right. Um, Billy Joe Saunders did quit. 
but I consider it a justifiable quit. Uh, it's not fair to hold everyone to the Arturo Gatti standard. Uh, that's my view on it. Uh, and again, it seems much worse that he quit if you think he was ahead in the fight, which he wasn't, and he knew he right. wasn't, uh, to bring it back to the scoring debate. So the, the two uh, topics kind of intersect there a, a bit. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders knew what was going on in that fight. He was falling behind yeah. against a superior fighter and then had some sort of damage done to his face and his orbital bone and very reasonably decided that was enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I also think it's good to touch a little bit on that final point that um, that that person made, which is, you know, I think that Billy Joe Saunders is not somebody who necessarily engenders a lot of sympathy because True. he does not seem to be a very nice person. Right. And <laughs> um, he mocked Daniel Dubois, for example, mm. um, uh, when du Dubois indeed quit. And as we talked about and were proven to be correct. It looked as if Dubois had suffered an orbital bone damage, and, and, and so he had. In fact, he actually said in the immediate aftermath, if my two eye sockets were broken, my jaw was broken, my teeth were out, my nose was smashed, my brain was beaten, I'm not stopping until I'm knocked out or worse. I don't agree with the man taking a knee and letting the ref count him out. And he didn't take a knee and let the ref count him out. But he took a very sensible position in the same way that Daniel Dubois took a very sensible mm -hmm. position. And so I think he's going to get some extra heat because of the way he, he spoke about his fellow boxers. But I wasn't that was pointless to come out after that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was losing the fight anyway. Yep. He doesn't have the big punch that could turn the fight around. He couldn't see. He could lose his vision if he took another punch on, on that. I mean, the, the, on, that, on that eye, the fact that Canelo reacted the way that he did right after landing that punch yep. for like half of that round knew it was over and done right there. Um, and yeah, one final thing. Again, we say this every time we watch Canelo fight, but what I took away from watching the fight again was once again starting to be perfectly honest with you to run out of superlatives to describe <laughs> Canelo Alvarez. I, I mean, I have to check myself a little bit sometimes and I'm like, why am I like, am I going overboard with this guy? But what impresses me is his completeness as a fighter, right? We tend to categorize fighters broadly as very good defensive fighters or very good offensive fighters. Canelo is both. Mm -hmm. um, he's a steady, methodical boxer with these blistering hand speed and, and of course, devastating power. I I'm impressed by the way he's able to torque those punches without like bending his body out of shape. His economy of movement is extraordinary. And as you touched on, his calmness, his thinking, his, you know, just, just the way he's, he's thinking several rounds ahead. He's seeing it as a 12-round fight, not, oh, I've got to react this way in this round. I, he's remarkable. I almost hesitate to say this, but he feels remarkably close to being a complete fighter. And, you know, like, you have to be careful about saying something like that because you don't want to be over the top. But my goodness me, Canelo Alvarez... And again, this is something that we say after every fight, continues to me to look to be getting better and better. There has to be a limit on it. But I like the thing that Roy Jones said, that he's sort of like an all-time great, particularly in what he's achieved at the age of 30, and there are still years to go. And um, yeah, I, I came away again very impressed with Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, and, and I don't know that this, you know, when I'm putting in the time capsule the five best performances that show the greatness of Canelo. I'm not sure. sure that this makes the cut, that this wasn't like a fight where he uh, scored a highlight reel knockout and looked absolutely dominant and absolutely spectacular in every way. So if, if people want to have a little criticism of this particular performance, 
that's fine, but it's hard not to have the overall sense looking at his body of work, particularly the last three, four, five years, and just kind of be in awe at this point. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, and so, of course, the question arises, what is next? You and I hate belts, alphabet belts. Uh, fighters love them, though. Uh, and Canelo could barely hold all the belts that were being draped over in post-fight. Uh, but one 168-pound belt was missing. That's the one that's held by Caleb Plant. Sounded pretty clear afterwards that that's who Canelo is targeting. You are next, my friend, he said. <laughs> um, or I'm coming, my friend, one or the other. Uh, of course, Plant is a PBC fighter. Uh, the network for which we work, Showtime, is a major PBC network. So, do we dare to dream, Eric, at the prospect of you and I being ringside in Las Vegas over Mexican Independence Day weekend? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Oh, that would be pretty damn sweet. Uh, and it seems logical, right? Uh, it makes all the sense in the world. I still wouldn't rule out a third Triple G fight. Sure. If they find that there's more money in that, I think that has to be considered a possibility for September. But I do think Plant has the inside track. And as the crowd at this fight in Texas reminded us, Canelo doesn't need an A-list opponent. Canelo is the attraction all by himself. Just need to put him in with someone credible. And yep. and you have something that will do well financially. I'd say Plant is on a similar level to Saunders, maybe a little higher upside, but but same ballpark. Will also be at least a four to one underdog, I'm sure. And that fight will do quite well on pay per view because right now Canelo versus any of the yeah. top ten most credible foes for him will do well on pay per view. Uh, but yeah, I, look, I'm biased. I I, I hope we get that on Showtime pay-per-view and that you and I are ringside. Um, you know, this past week for the first time, I, I really found myself missing radio mm. row podcasting because yeah. some of our colleagues were there covering the fight and, and podcasting. And I missed the fun and, and, and the great interviews yep. you can get in person. So yep. yeah, Canelo plant in September. Um, uh, I'm not going to book my flight just yet, uh, but signs are pointing in that direction. Yeah, let us hope so. Anyway, all right. Between now and then, we've got plenty of boxing to cover on Showtime. Beginning this Saturday, uh, Showtime Championship Boxing returns with a triple header. Uh, For the first time on actual Showtime rather than pay-per-view in the last, what, 15 months or so, uh, will not be at the Fight Sphere at Mohegan Sun. The setting instead will be the former Home Depot Center, the former StubHub Center, and now the Dignity Health Park in Carson, California, one of the very best venues in boxing, and there will be fans in attendance. 
And they have what should be an extremely exciting night to look forward to. It's certainly hard to imagine that the main event's going to be anything other than action-packed. As last week's podcast guest, Brandon Figueroa, takes on Mexico's Luis Neri in a super bantamweight slash junior featherweight contest. Uh, Brandon is 24 years old. He's 21-0-1 with 16 KOs. He throws a ton of punches, and he certainly didn't do anything on the podcast last week to diminish expectations of an exciting contest. That's for sure. The big question, though, is this, perhaps... Even though Figaro is clearly a contender on the rise, this does feel like a major step up against the veteran Neri, who's 31 and over 24 KOs. So I guess my question to you is, is it? Um, without necessarily giving away your pick just yet, do you feel confident from what you've seen from Figueroa so far that he's ready for this, that he has what it takes to make the move from prospect slash contender to real bona fide challenger for Stephen Fulton, which is what he becomes if he defeats Neri? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not confident he's ready. Uh, and that's part of what makes this such a fascinating fight. Yeah. Um, going back to my earlier days on the boxing beat, when Floyd Mayweather made a gargantuan leap in class to face Gennaro Hernandez, I wasn't sure if he was ready. He very mm. much was. Uh, yeah. when Fernando Vargas stepped up to challenge Yuri Boy Campus, I wasn't sure if he was ready. He was. When Zab Judah stepped up to face Costa Zoo, I wasn't sure if he was ready. He was for a round and a half. <laughs> then it turned out he wasn't, and so on. Th that's a big part of the thrill of following this sport. Yeah. When you've tracked a prospect, you've seen him advance to contender status, maybe he wins an alphabet belt, and then he takes that fight that will tell you if he's elite. Figueroa has faced a few pretty good opponents, uh, Oscar Escondón, Moises Flores, Julio Ceja in a fight that ended up a draw, Damian Vasquez last time out, but nobody close to Neri. Um, Vasquez was maybe good prep for Neri in that he's a southpaw, as Neri is. Figueroa switched to southpaw early in the Vasquez fight himself. I didn't feel it worked very well for him, at least defensively. He was easy to hit. Um, there are other challenges here for Figueroa as well. Uh, his dad and trainer, Omar Figueroa Sr., recently suggested he's already outgrowing 122 pounds. That mm. could be an issue if that is indeed the case. Figueroa definitely has a lot going for him, and, and not just how marketable he could be. Just as a fighter, he's a really dedicated, vicious body puncher. He doesn't seem to mind getting into a brawl. He has solid pop in his fists. Um, but you, you requested I answer your question without giving away my pick. So I'll just say I can't see how anyone could have followed Brandon Figueroa to this point and say confidently that he's ready for this leap up in class. I, I, I see some flaws that make me wonder, at least. And, and this mm -hmm. is a fight that will tell us if those flaws are the difference at the top level. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll tell us because... We know Luis Neri is world-class. Um, like Figueroa, he's unbeaten, and he's a former Titleist at 118 pounds. But although he's fought his share of scheduled 12-rounders and title fights, and we know he's talented, I think it's safe to say it isn't entirely clear what we'll see from him on Saturday. He blasted his way through opposition at Bantamweight and entered his last fight, which was his first since he officially moved up from 118 to 122 pounds. He entered that riding a streak of 11 straight knockouts, but he was much more of a boxer in that last fight, scoring a decision win over Aaron Alameda. So what do you think, Kieran? Was that change of style a one-off, or are you expecting a more conservative style again from Neri on Saturday? Well, so the difficulty in, in making that decision is, is that we sort of have a sample size of, of, of one to work from right <laughs> one fight for neri that's officially like you said at 122 pounds with neri that's an important <laughs> distinction to make um and one for him 
under the tutelage of Eddie Reynoso. Um, and the thing that we know about Reynoso is he does like to ensure his fighters are structurally sound and and then build them from there. And and so, you know, when we saw a slightly more conservative fighter there against Alameda, that could have been a case of getting used to the extra weight. It could have been getting used to a new trainer, maybe trying to see what works, getting the fundamentals right, solidifying that base, and then building from there. But we can also overstate it, right? So when you watch Neri fight at 118, he's a come forward heavy-handed exciting guy but it's not as if there's no technique to what he did or that he would just come forward without say jabbing his way in and and i think even if renoso wants to turn him into more of a boxer um you don't want a natural fighter thinking too hard about what he's doing you don't want to make too much of a change do you you want him especially in a fight of this nature against an opponent like figueroa you want him to be doing what comes naturally um so even if you tighten up some of his fundamentals maybe make him a bit more difficult to hear or better able to withstand punches from bigger opponents at the end of the day we're gonna see neri do what Neri does best. And I think even if you wanted him to become a boxer, the other guy also has a say in that. And and Figaro is the kind of opponent who's not going to give you the time and space to just box. Right. Uh, he doesn't even really give you the space to catch and counter. What, what you need to do, I think, is either be able to force him to fight more slowly than he wants to, or to be able to stand and, and fight fire with fire and throw punches between Figueroa's punches. And I kind of suspect that even if it doesn't start that way, the, the, the likely scenario is that that is what's going to end up happening after a few rounds. Both guys may go in there thinking, I'm going to be a bit more defensive minded this time. This guy can hit. I'm going to be a bit more cautious. But once they've both gotten tagged, mm -hmm. I think we're going to revert to the mean. And I think we're going to see both guys do what they've done best up to this point, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, the co-main event sees more junior featherweight action as former titleist Daniel Roman, 28-3-1 with 10 knockouts, takes on Ricardo Espinosa, who's 25-3 with 21 stoppages. And, you know, it's interesting, while most of the focus at the top of this division right now, which we, you know, repeatedly say is, is really hot, it, it's on the likes of Fulton and Figueroa and Neri and Murajan Akhmadaliev. But Roman's very much a major contender. He tends to get a bit overlooked, I think. He isn't especially flashy either inside the ring or out of it. He tends not to score early knockouts or even that many knockouts at all. But he's a fun action fighter. He's never been down. Uh, he made four defenses of an alphabet belt and then unified two of them uh, against TJ Doheny. He's lost only once in his last 21 fights. And that loss was a razor-thin decision defeat to Akhmedaliev, which looks even better after Akhmedaliev's last outing, where he manhandled Ryosuke Iwata. So are we collectively guilty of maybe overlooking or underestimating Roman a little bit? And how big of a favorite do you make him against the younger Espinosa? Yeah, I think people do underestimate or overlook Roman, and I think a lot of it has to do with his early career, when mm -hmm. he was a long way from the boxer he would become, and he got a draw in his second pro fight, he lost by four-round split decision in his fourth fight, lost again by close decision in his 11th fight. People see three losses and a draw on his record, they might make the assumption he's not on the same level as all these top undefeated 122-pounders. But he very much is. Uh, of his last nine fights, six came against undefeated opponents, and he won five of those. Mm. Roman is an outstanding fighter, but 
because his record isn't sparkling, because he's already 30 years old, I think people think of him as something in the realm of a gatekeeper, but he isn't that at all. Not not yet, anyway. Um, so while I haven't seen any odds posted on this fight yet, I got to assume he is indeed a solid favorite over Espinoza. Not an overwhelming lights out 20 to 1 favorite or anything, but a clear favorite. Um, now, Espinoza, two of his three losses came early in his career also, when he was just a teenager. So if we're going to write off Roman's first two losses, maybe <laughs> we should do the same with Espinoza's. Um, he has a couple of good wins, KO2 versus 16-0 Yason Vargas, and W10 in his last fight against 13-0 Brandon Valdez. He also has one very strong loss. He was stopped in the 12th round of a yeah. really close fight against John Real Casimero two years ago when Espinoza was only 21 years old. He came to rumble. He was right there in that fight until getting clipped and dropped hard in the final round. Uh, and he can pop. He's got a big left hook. He's dangerous. The more I watched of Espinoza, the more I thought to myself, this fight could be a thriller because mm -hmm. Roman is a legit top 122 pounder in my view. You know, I, I think you have to consider him the favorite, but this is far from an open and shut case where we know the result going in, which is what maybe I thought it was when I first glanced uh, mm. just, at, just at the box rec for this fight. Um, in the opener, undefeated junior lightweight Xavier Martinez returns to the ring seven months after his extraordinary comeback from the depths of hell win over Claudio <laughs> Marrero. Martinez is 16-0 with 11 KOs, and he had originally been slated to take on Abraham Montoya, but will now be facing Juan Carlos Burgos. Burgos is 34-4-2 and has been in with the likes of Devin Haney, Rocky Martinez, Mikey Garcia, Cristobal Cruz, and Frankie Archuleta, among others. So, Kieran, if the Marrero fight showed us that Martinez could battle through adversity... What do you want him to show us against Burgos on Saturday night? So from a wanting Xavier Martinez want to do well perspective rather than a what's going to be most fun for me as a neutral observer perspective, I'd like to see him have an entirely undramatic fight this time, to be honest okay. with you. Um, look, Burgos is experienced and he's tough. He's durable. Um, he's not going to be, I think, the kind of opponent that Martinez can just get out of there. I'm not super convinced he's the kind of opponent either who's likely to put him under the kind of pressure that Marrero did. Burgos has got very good fundamentals. He's He's got a good jab. He's got a nice straight right that he's able to deliver from distance. He can also land a nice hook in close. He actually staggered Mikey Garcia a little bit uh, uh, early in their 2014 fight. But he isn't an exciting or unpredictable boxer, Burgos. Um, I was ringside for that Garcia-Burgos fight in, in New York, and it came right after a fun heavyweight bout between Brian Jennings and Arthur Spilker. And after they got really hyped up by the heavyweight bout, the crowd was really bored by the main event. Um, you know, if you can time Burgos, I think if you can work him out, if you can move the pace up and down a bit, you can beat him. I'm not sure that he has a good second or third or fourth gear. Mm. Uh, Haney barely dropped around against him. Likewise, Garcia. And so that gives us a measuring stick, right? And so we'll get a sense on how Martinez does about against him, how much he's progressing. This is not, I don't mean to say that this is a gimme for Martinez by any means. Um, Burgos is not a great fighter, but he's a, he's a good one and he's experienced one. I just think he's like a B to C level guy who falls short without ever being blown out against the A to A minus level guys. Uh, I, I'd like to see a smart fight from Martinez. I'd like to see a composed contained boxing performance that shows us whether he can reasonably claim to be at the kind of level 
that he at times has suggested he might be. And there are still going to be a couple of little question marks after that Marrero fight. And I think it, he needs to sort of put them to bed to show that he isn't vulnerable, that he isn't, as soon as he takes a step up, going to be pushed to the brink and forced to really dig really deep. It would be nice for his progression on, to have an almost boring fight hmm. um, where he's able to sort of overcome a, a very solid veteran opponent who's really only lost to very good fighters uh, and, and put an, another L on his record. I think that would be a good night for him. Well, if the other two fights on this card play out in the action-packed manner in which we just previewed them as possibly playing out, I think we can forgive <laughs> Martinez if, if he yeah. ends up going the, the, the boring route. Exactly. Um, so those are our thoughts on the card. But for a more considered, and one might argue, informed opinion, let's now turn to somebody who knows all about life in and around the 122-pound division. He is former bantamweight, super bantamweight, and featherweight titleist, Showtime Championship boxing analyst, and now restaurateur, the one and only <laughs> Abner Mares. Abner, welcome back to the podcast. It's always great to have you. Uh, always great to be on. Thank you so much. Thank you for throwing that little shout out there. <laughs> I am a new uh, restaurant owner, so I'm um, blessed by that. People that don't know, uh, now you know, it's called Don Chanta's Tacos and Beer. Nice. nice. And, and, you, and you were telling us before we started recording that you actually have your own beer? And I do have my own beer. It's a lager. So uh, people are really um, liking it. Uh, I've gone different. You know, everybody has different taste buds. People tell me it's like a, you know, certain beer. Some other, I don't want to throw names here. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, you know, people, are, whoever has drank it so far, you know, has given me thumbs up. So I'm excited about that. And nice. and, and can I get a bottle that has like your picture on it? Or is, is that it, in the works? It, does not, it, it has my <laughs> logo. Okay. It has my, my actual M logo and then two skulls. I'm a big skull um, fanatic. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty neat uh, logo. We would be happy to review the beer on the <laughs> Showtime Boxing Podcast. I'd like to get your review. On that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, dis we'll discuss off air mailing addresses for uh, beer and whatnot. <laughs> So obviously you're, uh, you're, you're keeping busy these days and uh, yes. your, your Showtime job is certainly going to keep you busy this summer. Um, it's a packed fight scheduled and we're kicking it off on Saturday with a 122 pound main event between Brandon Figueroa and Luis Neri. This 122 pound division plays a key role in the whole Showtime schedule. Uh, in Saturday's co-main, Daniel Roman faces Ricardo Espinosa Franco and the Neri Figueroa winner is scheduled to meet Stephen Fulton in September. This division's absolutely on fire right now. Um, so as someone who spent his career fighting briefly at 122 and mostly just above and below it, what do you mm -hmm. think of the state of the division right now? And, and which contenders excite you the most? Um, every single fighter you just mentioned uh, are <laughs> exciting fighters. I mean, it's not, I mean, there's some of them are technical, like Fulton, you know, he could be a little technical at times. Uh, but he is a heavy puncher. He is, a, you know, all around really well-schooled boxer. But most of the fighters, you know, especially Brandon Figueroa and Neri, are two bangers, you know, fighters that just like to go forward, especially Figueroa, a fighter who has no off button, <laughs> definitely yeah. doesn't. It, it, he's a little machine, you know, does not stop throwing. Um, it's, it's just uh, one gear forward. And uh, it's, it's going to be a really exciting matchup because I think Neri has a lot to, um, to show, you know, Neri has a lot to show, meaning from his last fight, uh, I was not too impressed. He got a unanimous decision after having, I believe, eight consecutive knockouts. Mm. 
And um, I think weight had a lot to do with it. I think he always has a little bit of trouble uh, with that weight issue. Uh, he, he did uh, talk about, you know, draining, being drained a little bit. And he did make that switch with uh, Eddie Reynoso, Canelo's team, uh, new coach. Um, so, you know, we saw a little bit of that uh, effect in Neri. But when you have a guy that throws so much, which is Brandon Figueroa, it, it's, I think it's an automatically back to your old roots, back to your old boxing style, which is Neri. I think Neri is a great body puncher, a great combination fighter who would start off with the jab, great uppercuts, and will always uh, end up with a body shot. So we got two body body workers here, and I'm really excited about this division, like you mentioned, a division where I was once a world champion. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, us little guys, we just, we just like to, you know, to, to give the people good fights and, and really um, uh, put out a, a show. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, a little bit about Brandon's style, and people like us have been watching him for a while now, but now yes. that he's getting to main event status, you know, maybe some people are, are, are watching him who haven't seen him much before. So you talked already about the fact that he throws a ton of punches. What else can you tell folks who maybe haven't seen him before about his strengths and weaknesses? Well, you know, let's, let's start with his weaknesses. I think he, he needs to work a little bit on his defense. Uh, no, not so much the defensive fighter um, for the simple fact that he will, he would eat, one or two punches in order to get in and throw land two or three of his own. Um, you know, that's something he definitely needs to work on, uh, establish that jab, work his way in with the jab, but a lot of head movement and cutting off the ring. You know, sometimes he just likes to chase the fighter all around the ring instead of just cutting off the ring. Really simple, really basic things that Figueroa can work on. And if he makes those adjustments, I think he would just make him more of a dangerous, you know, a monster in his weight class. As he is, he's got the advantage that he's just a volume puncher. And, I mean, people that would just, I mean, let's just put it this way. I don't like comparisons uh, at all, but but I think he he does remind me a little bit of Leo Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. a guy, you know, tall, lanky, who doesn't care about the reach. He just wants to be <laughs> in. <laughs> and that, you know, in inside a, a boxing match, um, phone booth type of fight, does not, ma- does not care about having the reach advantage we know that Figueroa is a really he's tough for his weight class, but doesn't doesn't really use it much. Um, so, I mean, make that comparison. If you guys boxing fanatics and people that are just uh, getting to know the sport, uh, if you heard of Leo Santa Cruz, myself, that's the type of fight I think we're going to see Saturday night against Brandon Figueroa and, and Luis Neri. Uh, uh, all action, exciting matchup. Yeah, that's that's I like that comparison. That's that's really good. Um, and on the other side, Neri. Um, obviously a, a tremendous puncher and a quality yes. fighter. Um, but, but you mentioned his, his weight issues. Uh, he, he's missed weight uh, on more than one occasion, has even been banned from fighting in Japan because of it. Does that say to you that this is a boxer who lacks discipline or, or do you just think he was trying to fight in a weight class that was too small for him and, and that this should be a thing of the past now that he's at 122? I think, you know, I think it definitely was discipline. Um, you know, us fighters, we know, what weight we start off before we hit camp. So, you know, being the uh, professional that you are, you got to start cutting off quick uh, instead, instead of just waiting till, till the last what month, couple of weeks before the fight. And, and sometimes you get comfortable. Sometimes you think, no, you know, my body will lose it. Maybe because you did it once or twice uh, during the fight does not mean you will be able to get away with that. The, the following fight, you know, our body changes 
you know, drastically every single fight, you know, because of the, the hard work we put our body body to. Um, and so I think it is definitely discipline on Luis Neri. Uh, nevertheless, I think uh, he, he has learned his lesson. I think he, um, he has matured. He did make weight in this last fight. And uh, I think that um, we are going to see a, a Neri who is now, who wants to prove to the world that, you know, he is what people are talking about because people, let's be honest, people are talking about him. Mm-hmm. The only issue was that the little weight issue that he has, uh, the being undisciplined. But I think that um, Saturday night, maybe makes, makes weight and he looks spectacular. And I'm talking about spectacular getting a stoppage because I, I could see either fighter getting a stoppage um, because of their power and volume punching. Um, I think either fighter can make, um, but definitely he's going to make the super bantam weight class. Uh, uh, is going to put them on notice that, you know, right. they are here. Right. So we talked a little bit about each guy and what they kind of bring to the table. What is the one thing you want to see from each guy to sort of put themselves in, you know, what's the key It's a single key to victory really for each guy on Saturday night? Well, um, I think that Brandon Figueroa, there's not much you can change and I would not want him to change. I, I would not want him to try to be a boxer. He, he can at times. Um, and I think, um, what has been working for him is exactly what we've been talking about, the volume punching a fighter that can, you know, overwhelm fighters with that. Uh, I don't care if you're uh, a really ring specialist who can use the ring, the whole ring. But if you got a guy that's chasing you throughout the whole fight, 12 rounds, eventually you're going to tire out. Um, so I think that uh, Brandon Figueroa should definitely stick to that game plan. Like I mentioned, just little, mm-hmm minor tweaks on the defensive side, moving, uh, bobbing and weaving, uh, using that jab to close the distance and uh, closing out the ring. You know, I think that Brandon Figueroa, I think those are the little adjustments that that I mentioned and that I would want to see from him. And uh, on every side, well, number one, making weight, uh, not draining (laughs) himself because that would play a big part. If he drains himself and he does not make weight, I mean, if you have a balling punch, a guy that's just going to pressure you, you're, guess what? You're going to get tired within the, uh, the sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. You know, you're not going to be the same fighter. Um, and being elusive, being really the, the fighter that, that um, Neri is. Make him miss, make him pay. Neri, Neri's a good fighter that he will make you miss. Throwing a sneaky uppercut, like I mentioned, he's a combination fighter. Not only would he hit you with that uppercut by itself, he will come back with two or three punches behind that. Uh, so Neri, um, uh, not so much of the balling punching, but effective punching, uh, punching uh, two or three punches, combinations, and and moving using the whole ring. I think this is one of those fights where we might tell early who's getting the advantage, or do you think we're just going to see a lot of swings of momentum in this fight? I, I don't think we can, especially with Figueroa, because Brandon mm. can lose the first two three rounds, mm. and he's known, you know, to he's known to do that because he will take three rounds off taking punches, but eventually getting in, getting mm. in, uh, accumulating punches to a body, breaking the fighter down. So I think the fight could change for Figueroa if that's mm. a plan. But for Neri, I think it's more being uh, strategic uh, and, and smart in there. Gotcha. It's funny. We had Brandon on the podcast last week and by the end of the interview, Karen said to him, I was already excited for this fight, but you just got me more excited for it by the way you're talking about it. And and I think the same is true again this week that yep. I was already looking yes. forward to it, but hearing you break it down and sort of analyze the different angles involved, 
I'm that yes. much more psyched to see exactly how this thing's going to play out. It's just one of those fascinating matchups that you don't know going into it. <laughs> and you know, the icing on the cake on this is definitely the venue. I don't know what it is about yeah. the Dignity yep. Health Center that's been <laughs> yep. called. I don't know. They name, they change the name every, yep. <laughs> every two years. But this place is like, I think they call it the war zone. He's got different yeah. names because this is a, a, a place where, you know, is it triggers fighters. I don't know. You get in the ring and it automatically war, you know? Uh, so that, I think it's icing on the cake, being outdoor, uh, having people in sight. I'm really excited as an analyst to have for the first time people, uh, there. So, um, I can't, I cannot wait. I think people are going to be thrilled, uh, with this matchup. Yeah, we, we, we've seen a lot of fight of the year type fights at, at that yes. venue. And and if by chance the main event doesn't give us one, there's a chance something on the undercard will. Um, one fight on that card uh, is uh, junior lightweight Xavier Martinez returning to action. The last time we saw Martinez, he had to dig himself out of a deep, deep hole yes. for the first time in his career. He was dropped twice and seemingly on the verge of being stopped in round eight against Claudio Marrero, only to somehow come back and, and sweep the final four rounds and win the fight. How much better will he be, do you think, as a result of going through that and, and coming through on the other side with a win? I think he proved it that night. I think that night he grew as a fighter uh, coming off two knockdowns. And it wasn't just any knockdown. I, I honestly thought that he was going to lose that fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he overcame that. And once you do that and continue to fight and get a win, I think you just grow that much as the fighter, and, and we're talking about a Xavier, a fighter who turned pro at a young age of 17 years old. So he is a, um, a veteran of the sport, you know. Uh, he is a guy that's been in there. He's got a great amateur background as well. So uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see a, a now more mature uh, fighter in Xavier um, come fight night. Um, before we let you go, we want to talk about some of the other fights on the schedule. And we've talked to you before, of course, about Javante Davis, because you yes. were this close to facing him <laughs> a couple of years ago until injury got in the way. Now he's yes. stepping all the way up to 140 to take on Mario Barrios. And what really sounds like a fascinating matchup. What do you make of this fight? And do you think this means that his days at 130 are over? Um, first of all, Fun note um, that you know that the last Showtime fight that we had in in California was here at the Dignity Health Center when Javante uh, Davis was supposed to fight me, oh. and he ended up fighting Reese. That, I right. think believe that was in 2019. Yeah, that, so that was the last time we were here at Showtime. Right. So uh, that's really uh, funny you mentioned that. And um, now with um, with Javante's uh, tank moving up to 140, um, I think. He's always had trouble making weight. Um, We know it's not so much uh, the body uh, growing. I think it's him being disciplined. I think he could still make 135 or even possibly 130. But, you know, I think we are in a sport now uh, of boxing where fighters just want to win titles in every weight class (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) Um, If you see like, you know, like myself, um, you know, I'm still I'm going to come back at 130, not because not so much because, um, you know, I want to win another world title at 130. But, you know, my body is I'm I'm an older man, you know, I'm 35 years old. Tang is just still young. But I like the fact that he's taking challenges. I like the fact that he's not just taking on any fighter. Barrios is a a solid 140 pounder, uh, tall for his weight class, uh, heavy puncher boxing abilities i mean this kid has it all and so it's not going to be an easy night for 
Tank Davis. Um, I don't think uh, I think he did this more um, because uh, he was being a little bit attacked. Let's be honest. But the fact that he you know he was fighting certain fighters that are were at the you know barely move, making the jump to that weight class. So now him being able to fight a solid 140-pounder and, and we're fighting for what title, I think that, you know, he is going to shut shut a lot of mouths and, and mm-hmm. prove to people that he's just not fighting smaller guys in, in, in another and in bigger uh, weight class. I think Tank Davis has has the abilities uh, uh, to fight either at 130, 135, and 140, if he pleases. Do you feel that, you said you mentioned that when you come back, you want to come back at 130, that that opportunity is gone for you fighting Davis now if he's doing things like going up to 140? Uh, I don't think so. I think, um, like I told you guys, I think that he could still make 130 or 135. uh, But it really depends on what, you know, what he wants to do uh, with his career. Uh, I have no plans on on calling him out uh, anymore. Obviously, it just, you know, did not happen in my time. And and so be it. But he. But myself, you know, if I get the opportunity to fight either world champion uh, who is now at 130, it will be a blessing. And obviously every fighter is, is confident, believes in themselves. You believe in yes. yourself. Is there a little piece of you that when you're watching him land that uppercut on Leo Santa Cruz, you say, you know, I'm glad it wasn't me in there with him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. But, you know, one, one, one thing that I've always mentioned people that – was that when I was going to fight Tank back in 2019, he was a different Tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Leo fought, fought uh, Tank Davis, he, he was just a better Tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know why? Because during pandemic, he was able to uh, isolate himself. He was able to train right, properly right. for that fight. So that, I think that had a lot to do with it. And me, when I wanted to fight him, it, it, I was being smart. I was I was getting a Tank Davis that I knew wasn't training properly, that I, that <laughs> I knew I had, a, you know, a somewhat of an advantage uh, being being that, you know, um, I had more rounds than him and being uh, the experience. But um, but yeah, definitely when I saw that fight, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, thank God it wasn't me. <laughs> right. So one other fight on the schedule that we want to ask you about, and this is uh, in a division that, that you're intimately familiar with, Bantamweight, uh, the May 29th main event. Uh, it's Nordin Ubali taking on Nonito Donaire in a rescheduled match. Donaire impressed a lot of us with his outing against uh, Noya Unui in 2019. Now, he already had my vote for the Hall of Fame locked up, but do you, mm-hmm. think, do you think that performance cements his place in the Hall, oh, hall helps yes. guarantee he gets the votes? Okay, and, 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 and what does he have no to doubt. do to... What does he have to do to defeat Ubali, in your view? Um, listen, I think I'm a big Nonito Donaire uh, fanatic. I'm a really big fan. Um, there was a time in our careers, uh, I think I believe I was at the 118-pound division myself years ago. You know, there it was being talked about a f- possible fight against him. Never happened. And I don't think it will ever happen. I, I would never see 118 ever again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I, I, I got to give um, credit where it's due. And I think Nonito uh, for his age and making, because let's not forget that he did make the way he did uh, make the jump to 125, 130 mm. and sacrifice now himself. And I want to say sacrifice because it is a sacrifice sometimes to cut weight, to g- go down to 118 and the performance that he gave us uh, in the fight you mentioned and, and, and the way he fought. And, and the and this punishment, I want to say punishment, because there was a time where he was taking 
punishment. Mm-hmm. And to overstand that body shots mm-hmm. and coming back with his own uh, combinations and, and, and giving us an exciting uh, matchup. I mean, at his age, I believe he's a little bit older than me. Uh, Nonito Donaire is um, definitely one of the best right now. And I think a way for him to get this win will be his using his experience, mm-hmm. being the same Nonito that he always is. Do not rely on the left hook like he always does. Uh, sometimes he gets uh, he gets too excited with that uh, overhand right also. Um, you know, just be be him. Use the whole ring, box, have fun in there. Mm-hmm. In terms of, though, telling him, you know, be yourself, is there any concern that being Nonito Donaire, that that there's going to come a moment where he can't do that anymore? I mean, that, you know, every every fighter has that one last great performance in, in yes. him. Is there any concern on your part that maybe the Inoue fight was that for him and we're not going to see that Donaire again? You know what? I, I don't know if it's just me personally, but even myself thinking, okay, I'm going to come back. I might not be the same. My body might not react the same. Well, guess what? You got to have a plan B, plan C, you know, because my plan A is to go in there and fight like I always do. But if my body's not reacting or it's not, it's not doing what my, my, my brain is telling, you know what? Plan B. All right. Let's, let's stay. Let's block. Let's counter. Let's do little things, you know, that you as a professional, that as a, as, as an expert now in the sport, being that, you know, um, been in the sport for so long, the experience plays effect. So I think Nonito, um, he has to do that. You know, he has to try and be himself, try to do the things that he's always done. But if that doesn't work, okay. And now we've seen it. Go for the mm-hmm. power punches. That's the last right. thing you lose, power uh, right. in a fighter. If you're a power puncher, that's the last thing that you will lose. And, and Nonito Donaire has the power. Yeah. Can you ever tell? like in camp, what's there and what isn't? Or do you have to be in the fight? Does the bell have to go before you really I th- know? I think you have to be in the fight. Definitely, okay. there's there's times where you feel great in the gym. And I've had those moments. And, and I do not perform during the fight for some reason. Hmm. Um, I, I've seen many fighters that look phenomenal in sparring hmm. sessions in the gym. And come fight night, they're, they're definitely not the same person. Right same fighter um so uh but yes your body will tell you uh you will start start noticing certain things uh certain aches right. <laughs> as older <laughs> you get and um you know you gotta just change the way you train uh I, i've always um i don't remember who's who said these words but you know but there is that a saying that you know you gotta work uh, smarter, not harder. Now. Right, right. And I think Nonito Donaire has to do that. I think right. you know you don't. Have, I can't. I can't run ten miles like I used to. You know, right. maybe I cut it down to six, five. You know, but um, I'm just training smarter, not harder. So, uh, so my body will react and, and not just um, lock and come fight night. Finally, to finish off on on Saturday's fight, you've already talked about this a bit. Fantastic venue. Always great fights. And as you sort of mentioned, fans. We're going to have oh, yeah. fans again. Tell <laughs> yes. me how much you're looking forward to that, to actually so feeling beyond. that energy. I'm so young. <laughs> um, um, you listen, um, I was at uh, this past weekend's uh, fight uh, with uh, Andy Reese fought uh, mm-hmm. Chris Ariola. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I was there as, as an as spectator. Uh, and I, oh man, it was just, it was like I'm living, I'm, li- I'm back, you know, I'm living the life. <laughs> being quarantined for so long um you know we all been there and, and to finally be at a matchup to 
to really enjoy, you know, the sport that you love, it just is thrilling. So now, now being a commentator analyst and, and being there and, and, and having fans there, that's just going to be amazing. LA fanatics here are just, yep. you know, sometimes they get a little too excited. <laughs> we saw that last there. week. Yeah. yeah, there was a little too much excitement, you know, but you got a part in them, but they were just that, that excited to be out. <laughs> but I, and I guess it's also probably nice to be able to do your commentary on a fight without having to concern yourself with whether the fighters can hear every word you're saying about yes. them. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I think that's uh, one problem that Mo might have. You know, <laughs> there, there's no crowd yeah, loud he, enough to drown is, out now. He, he is a little bit too loud, <laughs> but he, we will notice that sometimes it's funny because he will talk about certain things that, you know, the fighter might not be doing and then he'll do it. You know, he's like, Oh, he heard me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure he did. That's so great. yeah, Yes, I, I'm not so much a Maya, and I think I'm a soft-spoken type of analyst. <laughs> right. But, um, but I mean, just the fact I think you will get that energy, that uh, rush. You know, being as a commentator, having the fans screaming. Yeah. You know, even even though you have the he- uh, the headphones on, I mean, you know, you, you just you just feel that energy. So it's yeah. going to be a different type of commentary now. Um, come this, you know, this fight because we, we got fans now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey man, look, thank you so much again for your insight. I really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Uh, all the best for the broadcast and all the best for the new restaurant, man. I hope it goes oh, really well you. for you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, um, so far so good, you know, uh, little baby <laughs> steps. I'm not, I don't, I don't think that it's going to, um, it's going to be doing great, you know, the first couple of months. You know how it is. Any business. Picked a great uh, time to open a yeah, restaurant. Yeah. But, but, you know, it, it's not bad. Uh, we, we we're off to a good start. Thank you so much for, for um, your blessings. And, guys, always great to be here with you guys. All right. Thank you Thanks, so much, Abner. Thank right. you. You guys have a good one. Time now for us to make our official predictions. Uh, our picks contest is delicately poised. You have the slenderest of leads at 22 points to 21 as we enter the busiest and sure to be defining stretch of the year. We begin with the opening bout of the evening, Xavier Martinez against Juan Carlos Burgos. Eric, you're up first. So this is interesting in that I'm not entirely sure what Burgos has left at age 33. Mm. Five to seven years ago, he could beat anyone but the very top guys. Um, in 2018, you talked about this. He lost almost every round to Devin Haney. In 2020, he lost pretty lopsided to Hector Tanahara. He's never been stopped, uh, but I just wonder if he's still capable of threatening a serious talent like Xavier Martinez. Because of the way he finished the Marrero fight, I'm guessing Martinez's confidence is not shaken by that scare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good about picking him to win this fight. But Burgos is a tough dude, and he's big. He's been fighting at 135. So as long as he doesn't drain himself getting down to 130, he should be able to last the distance. This one feels pretty straightforward to me. Martinez pounds out a clear-cut, unanimous decision. What do you say? Yeah, I think Martinez is at times going to have to work a little bit for the win here, but I do expect him to get that win. Um, You know, if he's as good as he has at times appeared to be, he should be on a different level. From Burgos, um, yeah, Burgos is good. He's got these long arms. He's a solid boxer. 
Um, like I said, I, I don't know that it'll be the most exciting of opening bouts. I'm not sure after the first couple of rounds if there'll actually even be very much tension in it either. I, I see it being one of those fights where Martinez is a bit too varied, a bit too fast, just a bit too good for Burgos in each round. And I see the gap between them increasing with each round. Uh, but Martinez, I still think, is going to have to concentrate for first bell last. But and, and I just don't think that Burgos is going anywhere. I do think both men stay on their feet. By the end of it, I see Martinez, like you, with a unanimous decision that may actually even end up being a feel a smidgen wider than it feels if the fight actually was. But a, a unanimous decision victory, I think, for uh, for Xavier Martinez here. All right. Uh, as for the co-main, yeah, look, I agree with you about Ricardo Espinosa. He clearly has ability. Um, as you mentioned, you know, he, he was close level, basically, with John Real Casemiro until Casemiro uh, dropped and stopped him in the 12th. He can be knocked down. He's been down a few times, uh, five in total. Um, the one thing, the negative thing that I thought about Espinosa is his punches at times look a bit wide to me. And he looks as if he can be a bit too easy to hit, or he's easier to hit than he would probably like. Um, I think Danny Roman's style might be all wrong for him here. Uh, I see Roman having to walk through fire to get there. But I think as the fight goes on, I see him starting to walk through that fire, getting to uh, Espinosa and working really well inside him. I just think Danny Roman's going to be able to get into him, get inside him, get on top of him and really start working away on him and tagging him. He does have that one punch power, Espinosa. Roman's going to have to be careful, but I see this as being a grinding draining, rough, tough, but increasingly dominant performance by Roman. The smart money always is on a points win for Danny. I'm extremely tempted to go with that. I just have a suspicion that Roman's going to be able to get through enough to start busting him up. I don't know that there'll be any knockdowns, but I think this could be a referee or corner stoppage. Espinosa possibly cut. Um, punches coming in thick and fast late in the fight. I'm going to say a stoppage for Danny Roman in about round 10. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this is one that, as I said, once I started watching some Espinoza, uh, I started thinking, boy, we should have a real fight here. I think this could be a, a back-and-forth, bombs-away war, not unlike Roman's fight with TJ Doheny. Uh, I think this is your StubHub special right here, even though I realize it's not the StubHub anymore. Uh, I think this is the one that makes the broadcasters start saying out loud, what is it about this venue? Right. Um, now, I, I do believe this is scheduled for 10 rounds, not 12, um, which is fine. Lines up with your prediction of KO 10. Um, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to say KO 11 or KO 12, and, I'd, <laughs> and, I, and I might have to step in there. But in a 12-rounder, I probably would have ended up with a, a, a Roman late KO pick similar to yours, but obviously a, a round or two later, since it's only scheduled for 10, according to uh, the Showtime press release that I saw, I'm going to say it lasts the full 10 okay. and it's just a tremendous fight. And let's go out on a limb and say Roman by majority decision, something mm -hmm. like 97, 93, 96, 94, 95, 95, something like that. Okay. All right. Um, as for the main event, Neri and Figueroa, this one, I kind of went on the opposite sort of journey that I did with the, the Danny Roman fight. Uh, when this fight was first signed, I was like, whoa, I, I don't know who to favor in this. And then I thought about it some more 
rewatched some of Figueroa's recent fights, and I kind of get the feeling he's going to find himself overwhelmed at some point mm-hmm. in this fight. He's too easy to hit, too willing to brawl, and I would think he'll have some moments early. Uh, the fight might be even through four or so, and then Neri starts to separate himself starts to do some of what Abner was talking about, hitting and not getting hit. Figueroa starts getting frustrated, but he keeps coming, and he walks into something, goes down, keeps battling. I don't think, you know, one good mm-hmm. knockdown is going to be the end of him. Uh, but I-, I think the punishment will start to accumulate from there. I'm not sure it's a case of too much too soon, so much as maybe it's just a case of too much, period. Uh, mm-hmm. That Neri is maybe just a half level above him. I think he'll pour it on. Uh, against a game Figueroa until Brandon's corner stops the fight in the ninth round. Okay, we have some separation here. And you seem slightly more confident in your pick than I am in mine. Um, I was actually kind of glad the rotation lined up so that you had first pick on this one, so I could listen to what you had and (laughs) and delay my pick a little bit more. Um, You know, we touched on this already. You know, both men come into this with either words or deeds suggesting they're looking to tweak their styles a little bit both and in both cases it revolves around like maybe not getting hit as much um i I do feel that you know even though i just i talked earlier about how neri doesn't want to change things up too much he is the one who can maybe adapt and change a little bit more depending on circumstances i feel that neri is perhaps a bit better able to have a plan b or a plan c Brandon is what he is, right? He is that tall guy who gets great leverage on his punches, throws buttloads of them, and keeps coming at you. If you can take that, can you adapt? Um, you know, can he adapt rather? If you know, if you can take that from him, ah, right. oh, it's just goodness me, Figueroa's. <laughs> You know, I love hearing a... you squirm like this. Whether whether I end up uh, gaining any ground or losing ground yeah. to you here, I'm at least enjoying the process of you really struggling with this. And hopefully Gordon Hall's listening to this and loving it too, because it shows that this is very good matchmaking. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I guess for me, part of the wild card is whether Neri can cope as well against an aggressive opponent at 122, or if he'll fare better against an aggressive opponent at 122, because he'll be stronger going into the bout. Um you know, Abner gave his opinion that he thought that Neri's earlier weight issues were the result of ill-discipline, and he's not getting away with that ill-discipline with the Renosos. So are we, in fact, going to see a better Neri than we've seen before? Uh, I think this might start out a little bit cautiously, because each man will have respect for the other. Um, but when Neri starts landing those those heavy hands, Figueroa will know what he needs to do. The fighter in him is going to be awoken, and we'll, by around round three or four, we'll be off to the races. I do see Figueroa going down. I might see both men going down. Mm. I see both men being hurt. I guess at the end of the day, I think both men will see the final bell. And that's why I'm just with no great confidence thinking that Figueroa's work rate will carry the day in the eyes of the judges, if not necessarily in the eyes of everybody I think he'll just survive the toughest fight of his career. He'll eke out a split decision win. And were he not already lined up to face Steph Fulton, there would be demands for an immediate rematch. Mm. As it is, Neri will be in a very strong position to demand, as an aggrieved loser, 
the winner of Fulton Figueroa. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it were, works out the way that you said it. I thought about that myself. Ultimately, I come down on Figueroa surviving with a split decision win, if not necessarily seeming to be the victor at the end of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm rooting for your prediction from an entertainment standpoint okay. uh, and, and for my prediction from every other standpoint. All right. Okay. <laughs> it is time now for the tweet of the week. And even more than usual, it is a profoundly unserious one. Uh, but it's just a little bit puzzling. Uh, it comes from Yorkis Gamboa, who, as we know, faces Chris Colbert on Showtime in July. Um, on Cinco de Mayo, it actually has nothing to do with Cinco de Mayo, it just happened to be May 5th. Gamboa, uh, who, maybe he was hacked. Maybe he has some money in this particular venture. Maybe he was trying to make some really deeply obscure point, tweeted a link to a product. The product was called Eliza. What is Eliza, you ask? It's a male masturbator. <laughs> a hands-free male masturbator. With, and I hasten to point out that I am quoting from the website, not personal experience, <laughs> five thrusting modes and three sexy female moans. It also has a powerful suction base, so you can fasten it to an appropriate surface height slash angle. Um, ideal for the shower, apparently, uh, although the website does advise that it is not for the beginner. No siree. Uh, apparently, if you are a beginner or you are, quote, looking for strokers that provide the feeling of hands wanking, please click and move to the Alice hands-free masturbator. That was the last <laughs> activity on Yuri Yorkis Gamboa's Twitter account. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> so I did see this. Um, this got shared in one of the private message threads I had uh, okay. with, with some of my other friends in the boxing media. Uh, someone pointed this out and, and shared it. And I guess some of the responses were sort of a, did you get hacked, bro? And you okay, bro? And the, the, those, those sort of things. I can't recall if there were actually bros in there. but <laughs> Right, you might be very. I, all I will say is that if you're going to buy this product that uh, apparently Yuriorkis Gamboa endorses, um, you should also pick up a tube of uh, Victor Ortiz face lube while you're at it. Excellent. Feel like feel like they're a good combo purchase. Fantastic response. Yes, Thank very you. good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm glad we got that uh, pleasant, lighthearted tweet of the week out of the way, because uh, there is nothing to laugh or smile about in this week's news main event. Um, just as we were preparing to record last week, news reached us that boxer Felix Verdejo was a person of interest in Puerto Rico in the murder of 27-year-old Keishla Rodriguez and her unborn child. Details were still limited as of our recording last week. Nothing was official in the sense that there weren't any charges. So we elected to wait to say anything until we knew more. We now do know more, and it is all absolutely horrible. Uh, Verdejo has been indicted by a grand jury, along with alleged accomplice Luis Antonio Cadiz Martinez, for carjacking resulting in death, kidnapping resulting in death, and killing an unborn child. According to the indictment, Rodriguez was Verdejo's mistress, and she had just told him that she was pregnant with his baby. Allegedly, Verdejo punched her in the face, injected her with a syringe filled with an unknown substance, bound her arms and feet with wire, 
tied a heavy block to her body, drove to a bridge, and threw her into the water, and then Verdejo allegedly shot at her body with a pistol. Of course, these are just accusations for now, but wow, this is next-level sick stuff if Verdejo did what he's alleged to have done. There have certainly been plenty of cases of boxers engaging in violent and appalling behavior, but few as shocking and awful as this. I don't know if there's much to say, but uh, Kieran, you want to take a crack at offering some thoughts? Uh, yeah, well, I actually just recently saw um, apparently a, a, some, a translation of a newspaper report of the autopsy that apparently showed that she had she died of drowning. Hmm. She was alive when she was thrown into the water, that she had multiple fractures to her face, uh, and that that substance was a mixture of heroin and fentanyl. Um, holy moly, this was just an especially horrific crime, and, and there are really almost no words here um you know look there's there's been discussion of course given verdejo's profession maybe he has cte or some other mm-hmm. brain damage that could perhaps make the whole thing at least mildly more explicable but this wasn't a case of chris benoit's like rage this was cold and calculating and brutal and sinister and if verdejo is indeed guilty the consequences need to be extremely severe and it doesn't matter what this means for his career or what a downfall this is for a once promising boxer. What matters is Keishla Rodriguez and her family and her loved ones. Um, I give credit to top rank, his promoter for how they responded to the situation without commenting on his presumed guilt or innocence. They removed him from their website and they issued a statement that expressed sorrow for her, for Keishla mm-hmm. Rodriguez and condolences to her family and didn't mention Verdejo at all. Um, that's, you know, the right thing to do. This is just horrible. I mean, just, I can't even wrap my head around this, Eric. Yeah, no, just dismal, dreadful stuff. And uh, I wouldn't mind if uh, if we never have to talk about it again, other oh, than great. to, you know, briefly report on a conviction or, or what have you and uh, not have to delve into these details again. Agreed. Um, there is no easy transition from the main event to our news undercard, but there are a few items to touch on. Uh, Manny Pacquiao has said that he will reveal his final career plans, including possible retirement plans, after he announces his next fight. And there are reports, as we've talked about in the past, that that next fight might be against Mikey Garcia and that potentially Pacquiao will retire afterwards from boxing and run for president of the Philippines, all things that we've talked about as possibilities in the past. Uh, Mike Coppinger of The Athletic is reporting that Golden Boy Promotions' deal with DAZN expires at the end of 2021, and that with both parties presently less than enamored with each other, following the Canelo contract fallout that we've discussed plenty in the past, Golden Boy boss Oscar De La Hoya is looking to take what's left of his stable to upstart broadcaster slash streamer Triller. And alas, while not our main event, uh, the biggest news splash of the week in the non-Canelo section was in Miami, where... Well, actually, TLDR version of it is Jake Paul snatched Floyd Mayweather's hat and a ruckus <laughs> ensued. Um, let's lighten the mood. Yes. Uh, give us your detailed Bruder <laughs> movie analysis of the great gotcha hat controversy of 2021. Uh, the movie, well, the, uh, Floyd's head jerked back and to the left. Back <laughs> and to the left. Um, I was so torn watching this between feelings of that's so stupid and infantile that it's kind of funny and just that's so stupid that it's stupid. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about whether it was a work to use the wrestling parlance, whether it was planned, Floyd was in on it, etc. 
I kind of lean no, but I can't be too sure. And it doesn't really matter. It's all spectacle designed to get attention, whether it was purely Jake Paul putting on the spectacle or whether both sides were in on it. Um, I did get mildly disturbed watching all the masklessness, uh, but (laughs) that wasn't exactly surprising. Um, I'm pretty sure I heard the voice of Kelly Swanson, Floyd's longtime publicist, yelling in the background for everyone to settle down and stop it. Um, Of course, it's sort of interesting that Jake Paul has stolen the spotlight here when he isn't even the Paul brother who's fighting Floyd. uh, But undoubtedly, the biggest story in all this is, wow, Floyd growing a beard and not shaving his head has aged him about 15 years. Uh, he's, he's looking less like someone who used to be known as pretty boy and more like someone Samuel L. Jackson might play in a movie. Um, I'm thinking black snake moan specifically. I'm not sure if you've seen that one horrible yep. movie, but if you're into yep. Christina Ricci, it has its redeeming Indeed. qualities. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw the aftermath. Jake Paul posted a video of his newest tattoo being applied the words gotcha hat and a small doodle of a baseball cap, which, uh, hey, when you pull off a prank this instantly iconic, you got to immortalize it forever in ink on your leg. It all makes perfect sense to me. I very much understand the younger generation, Kieran. I remember remember our new catchphrase, dare to be washed. But hey, whatever it takes to distract us from news such as the main event we discussed this week uh, or whatever's going on with Oscar De La Hoya's comeback fight, anything like that. This is a fine distraction, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. My my notes here are very much get off my lawn E2 as well. <laughs> I have I have to be honest. I don't think it was a work at all. I, I feel like I've been around Floyd enough to know how good of, and bad of an actor he is and to know when he's legit pissed. He looked legit pissed to me and, and there were, you know, apparently real punches thrown. Um, it is a little funny and interesting in that Mayweather, of course, based so much of his career, obviously, around being an exceptional boxer, but also doing everything he could to be a dick to his opponents and get under their skin. And now he's on the other side of it. And, um, oh, God, I hate saying these words, but you almost have to give it to Jake Paul, right? <laughs> he, The dude knows how to be a troll. I mean, he sure. really does and how to get attention. And this is where the get off my lawn bit comes in, because apparently this is a thing that people aspire to now, right? Is no <laughs> necessarily great achievement, but just the act of pissing people off and being a troll is in itself considered an achievement of sorts. Um, and he, look, Jake Paul in particular is very good at that. Um, and it's all well and good. But, you know, you can have consequences, um, you know, to uh, to misquote Mike Tyson. Everyone's a troll until they get punched in the face. And and <laughs> maybe maybe after Floyd wipes the floor with uh, with his brother, he fights Jake Paul and Jake Paul earns tons of money, but gets his face broken. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I will say it was quite funny at first because I, I sent you a, a DM at first, like when I first saw it, because right. I thought I. It was funny how last week we talked about how we could differentiate now between the two brothers. But when I first saw it, I just assumed that it was Logan Paul that he was getting into it with. And I thought to myself, oh, this has got me a bit interested because now I want to see if Floyd's going to go all Ali versus Ernie Terrell on him Hmm. and just like absolutely punish him during this exhibition. And then I realized it was the other idiot brother and I wasn't interested again. (laughs) And then, you know, here we are talking about all of them and that's what they want. So who's the idiot now? (laughs) Not just now. We're, we are always the idiots, well, indeed. 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 All right. Let's finish things off with the top five challenge. It's my turn to provide a challenge for you. 
In the wake of the Mayweather Paul brouhaha, mm. it is a simple and timely one. What are your top five instances of fighter encounters outside of the ring? It can Ooh. be a press conferences, weigh-ins, face-offs, in the street, in advance of a scheduled fight or not. The kind of thing that boxing fans and us in the boxing media pretend to be oh so offended by, but privately lap up. Um it does need to be a specific event, not just, oh, my God, boy, Dusty Trunks and Willie Get Up hated each other for months and years. Not that, but remember, but more of, hey, remember when Dusty Trunks bumped into Willie Get Up at the Kentucky Derby and kicked him in the balls? That kind of a thing. <laughs> okay. uh, it needs to be more than a withering psychological put down. Um, whatever the context, um, whether it's a one on one scrap or a mass brawl or just a bunch of silliness. It all needs to have kicked off at least a little bit briefly. And the fighters themselves don't necessarily have to have swapped blows. Their supporters can have done it or they can have caused some kind of big kerfuffle. But they, at least one of the fighters needs to have been an instigator. So it's a specific event, unsanctioned, fists flying perhaps, but just general unseemliness followed by a tusk, tusk, tusk. In the boxing media, you got the kind of picture. You I, know where I'm going. I do, and just and so to be clear, it's it's outside the ring specifically, so that something like the Bogalata brawl would not qualify because that well, was part of a fight. You're correct. Sir. Okay, okay, I'm excited. This is fun. I'm excited. I'm like running across the top of a car, delivering a drop kick. Excited. For example, to, to perhaps give away something that might make indeed, my list. Okay, I almost put casino parking lot as a potential place <laughs> where such a thing could happen but didn't want to give away too much but right. now we know where we're going yes exactly yeah. all right this all is, right. this sounds like fun all right that will do it for this week's showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney many thanks as always to Abner Mares for joining us, and best of luck to him with his restaurant, Don Chente Tacos and Beer. Uh, a place for us to go to when we're going ringside again yes. and doing Radio Row and such like. Uh, a quick programming note. May is Mental Health Month, and in recognition thereof, Showtime is making the documentary about our friend and colleague Maura Ranallo, bipolar rock and roller, free to non-subscribers for the month on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. If you haven't seen that, do check it out. We will be back next week with a look back at Figueroa Neri and the rest of this Saturday's Showtime Championship Boxing triple header with, we hope, a highly interested guest. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. Streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Rated PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.